You're listening to the WineFi podcast, a show which inspires young artists, entrepreneurs, and creators to make meaningful content and pursue their passions. My name is Jesse Maguire, and I live on the Central Coast of New South Wales, Australia. I'm sitting down with creators who are from the Central Coast to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how to create a life by design, not default. And today I have the privilege of sitting down with Jake Kelly. Jake is a world-class chef who has traveled the globe chasing his dreams. Jake and I discuss pursuing your passions, facing hardships, and the attitude of being number one. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Jake Kelly. Uh, let's get started. We've got about, a, about an hour. Yeah, cool then. Yeah. Happy it's days. Happy days indeed. Um, welcome to episode one of season two of the Winify podcast. I have the privilege of sitting down with Jake Kelly today, and he's going to tell us a little bit, a bit about his story and his success and his journey. Um, the typical structure of the Winify podcast is we start with a gift. Ooh. So. You were just already asking gift already. Yeah, already, as always. You were just asking oh, about it. <laughs> so there is a bottle of Kelly's, oh. which is the product of Winify, which I compare the personality of grapes to the personality of the person. <laughs> I think I butchered my plug there. <laughs> <laughs> That's unreal. Thank you very much. Perhaps you could read it out. Australia's best Kelly's, the Central Coast Gerard's. Um, the award-winning wine sure knows how to dish it out. Exceptional flavour and hearty char- character creates a perfect balance. Grown and matured on the central coast of Australia, Kelly's has risen to international fame uh, from all over the from all over the globe. Have paid testament to ambitions, qualities that are held within this bottle. A wine to be enjoyed with aged pigeon, fat duck, or possum. <laughs> Kelly's <laughs> Kelly's was made for extraordinary things. Thank you very much. I didn't know if it was offensive or not that laugh. <laughs> no, no, no. Mum, is this okay? No, it works. Old childhood nickname. Well, there's a few there's a few hints in there about your aged pigeon dish because yeah. I was learning about that when you won the amazing award. Yeah, no, definitely. So that was um, yeah, my signature dish that I competed in. Um, started in Singapore because we all went through different stages, and then um, yeah, did on the world stage in Milan and two years ago. Don't be modest. Tell oh, us, tell us about it. No, it was unreal. It was a good experience. Um, basically, it was a San Pellegrino World Young Chef. Um, I submitted a dish when I was in Singapore, working at a restaurant called Burnt Ends, and then um, yeah, Dave really wanted me to wanted me to compete in it and have give it a good crack. And then um, yeah, I won the sort of one section um, in Southeast Asia, mm. and then it was about twelve months time when I flew to Milan about eight days earlier to make sure everything was ready for it. Um, spent a lot of money and time, you know, thinking about how I could make my dish the best. Um, and then rocked onto the world stage against um, 22 other young chefs from different continents around the world. And then um, banged it out. It was good. Banged it out. Made banged it out. Top three and then came runners up. So, Brilliant, and that's a lot of work to get there. Yeah, it was it was massive. Okay. It was yeah, good. that is huge. And to be on a on like the world stage in that regard, from there and ten years ago, working in a Central Coast restaurant. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, when you were in this time, you would have been how old? Maybe. 17? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, 16 when I started my apprenticeship, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah so. So. so tell us a little bit about, about yourself, Jake. And, um, yeah, um, well, I started cooking when I was 16. 
Um, went to school at St. Edward's College in East Gosford. And, um, yeah, sort of, you know, cooking was a bit of a passion at the time. Uh, played quite a lot of rugby league on the Central Coast and always had this ambition that I wanted to play NRL. And as most young kids do at that age. And then, um, yeah, I did hospitality and food tech at school, um, which sort of, you know, I only did that because I loved eating at the time. <laughs> Um, which you know we all do, and then um, the, there was a teacher at my school. Uh, it was Miss Papiex. Her husband was a chef, opening a restaurant in Wild, a little French restaurant. And then basically they were looking for an apprentice at the time, and they spoke to my um, uh, food tech teacher, Anne McDonald, and then she sort of pointed me in the right direction for that. I remember going up to Mingara with my mum and dad and sitting down with him, and they were pretty much like, you "Knows this something you want to do?" And then I said yes, and then haven't really looked back since. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, started with Michelle, did about a year and a half of my apprenticeship there. And then, you know, just with that mentality in my mind all the time of wanting to achieve bigger things, I moved to Sydney and then um, jumped on with uh, Matt Morant. Mm-hmm. He went to a couple of restaurants down in Sydney, still a really good friend. Um, and then, yeah, jumped on with him for a few years to finish my apprenticeship. So... And then, yeah, then all from there sort of escalates even higher. I moved, went to London, did some, uh, did some work experience there, came back, moved to Melbourne, worked for Gordon Ramsay. Um, then I still had this massive travel bug because it was the first time I ever travelled when I was younger. And then um, I went back to London and then did some time with Heston and the Fat Duck um, out in Bray. And then I moved in and took my first sort of chef to party role at the Lebrary, um in Notting Hill, which is a two-mission star. And this is where you met... A very good mentor. Yeah, definitely. Yes, for sure. Brett was, um, you know, I wasn't there for a long duration of time. Um, I struggled, struggled quite a lot in London. Um, not knowing too many people, you know, you're putting your head down, you're working from like 6, 30, 7 a.m. in the morning till 1, 2 a.m. And you'll do that all again for five days straight, sometimes six. So um, I remember the hardest part of that was I remember doing a block. I did like two weeks straight to get an extra two days off. And I remember I was going to Paris at the time because you could just get a train, you could get a train just straight over. And um, coming off the back of, yeah, 10 days straight doing, you know, 16, 17 hour days was like, was massive. But um, huge. Yeah. Did you, know, you enjoy Paris? Paris is unreal. Yeah. It's one of my, you know, I think it's a little bit, it's been perceived as, you know, as a different place. But when you actually finally get there, you're like, oh yeah look it's nice there's some parts are a little bit grungy some parts are a bit posh which I actually don't mind about um, but yeah look I really enjoyed Paris it was mm. a couple of days mm. and then um, shot back to London and yeah look Brett was Brett was being a big mentor mm. he's um, you know the way he thinks about food the way he you know composes dishes um, and the way he would you know talk about it as well seasonality he cooks that because he loves cooking it you know um, you know when he diverts down like his game his game ideas like game birds like pigeon or quail or you know roe deer or um that kind of style so and that's what i really loved about him and yeah it was, it was good it was really yeah. good so, so you developed your skills across these different kitchens mm. were there huge differences in gordon ramsay's kitchen to hester's kitchen to um but not in Hill's kitchen. Um, yeah, look, there was a little bit. Of, there was obviously there was a little bit of difference going from Heston's to to the library because Heston at that time was you know you still had a bit of a molecular 
stuff going on, but not too much when I was there. Like everything mm. was still more plated and sort of calmed back down. Yeah. Um, but in regards to plating, style, flavor combination, it was relatively the same because I feel like, you know, that time when I was in England, yeah, you know, like the flavors were quite similar in a way, but, you know, I think Heston's food was a little bit more technical toward, mm. you know, what Brett was doing, but, um, mm. yeah, like, yeah, it was a little bit different at the time, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of experience, I imagine. Yeah, over there, no and massive. You were pretty young too. I mean, considering straight out of Sydney as well, working for a very high-profile chef mm. as well. So you still got this mentality of grid and ambition, going overseas, working in these different places. Where was the drive coming for that? You know, where Oof. was the drive to to um, work in these places? Which I don't know. I mean, if. I was a 16-year-old kid doing my apprenticeship. The thought of just getting a nice job here on the coast seems good. Mm. But you had this ambition to get over there. So what was what was the drive for that? Oof. I think it was there was always a mentality in my head that I always wanted to be the best. Mm. Um, like there was always a drive, you know, to be better than someone else or, you know, to be better than that cook or, or whatever the case. And during that period, you know, I hit a bit of a slump when I came back from England. Um, you know, I thought I couldn't really do it. Um, but during that period of, of my career, I think I moved to the, to London when I was just turned 18. Um, so I was just like, just trying to push myself and all I wanted to be, all I wanted to do is be surrounded by really good chefs. Cause then that, that tests you within yourself you know, if you're cooking sauce and that person's cooking fish, but you know you can cook sauce 10 times better than the person cooking fish. Um, it's sort of that drive to, to make you better. That's what I found and that's what really drove me. What are the qualities of a good chef in your mind? Um, what are the qualities of the best chef? Not thinking too much about it. Letting it flow. If you're good at what you do, that generally happens. You know, I feel like if you're put into a situation where, you know, it's hard and you're under pressure and, you know, even I still get put under pressure every day, but if you're calm, you're not thinking too much about it and you're just really concentrating on what you have to do. If you can always get yourself out of that predicament, then you're doing pretty good because if you chuck someone else in that and they, they don't have those qualities, then it's sink <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So I feel like if you're not worrying too much about it and if you're just confident within yourself, I think that shows that you're a good chef. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant answer. Mm. So you're feeling like you were being in a slump when you got back from London. Yeah. So did you move to Sydney, back to Sydney, or did you move somewhere else? No, I moved back to the coast. Oh, right. Yeah, so so I came back and I took a job on the coast. That's Um, a huge shift, I imagine, from working in world-class cities. Mm. You know, you come to Sydney, Melbourne, but back to the coast, Coast. what was that like? Yeah, it was hard because I remember coming back and at that time I thought I was king shit. Just come from all these amazing restaurants and to try and put myself into a kitchen that, you know, that's, you know, just on the coast, like plots along, doesn't seem really good restaurant. I felt it was really hard. And then I just got myself up to no good. I remember losing my license. I remember just like walking out of my job at the time and not, you know, it was definitely a bit self, a bit of arrogance there, um, which I don't condone at all um but yeah i just sort of slumped back in it and i remember talking to mum and dad i was like i can't stay here because you know this is not me um so i moved back down to melbourne after about four months 
So I'd come back, I lost my license. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a hard time. And then I remember just leaving mum. I'd never been to Melbourne before, never. And mum, I said, look, I'm moving to Melbourne. And then mum dropped me off to the airport and was like, see you later. <laughs> and then it was just like, here we go again. And then I took a job with a really good mate, Nick Stanton, um, down in Melbourne. Um, yeah, and he just opened a new business, so I gave him a bit of a hand, and then, and then, yeah, and then again, there was always that that drive in my mind that always wanted to be good. And then, you know, then I worked with a guy named Adam Liston. Um, he was running a restaurant in the city, and then um, followed him around, followed him for a bit until I got the opportunity to be a head chef. So and was that in Melbourne? That was in Melbourne, chef? yeah. So I took over a restaurant. Was that that was called the commoner. The commoner. Yeah, and this is that. I think this was the sort of the start for me on that on that on that right path of getting where I wanted to be. Um, so that was a small little restaurant in uh, in Fitzroy. Um, lovely owners, Joe and Matt, had an awesome like wood fired grill out the back, small kitchen, and just a really hearty restaurant. And to we had a, a fire at the time. And then to be given the privilege to reopen it as the head chef was was pretty cool. So mm, um, huge. Yeah. What are the sort of responsibilities that you have as a head chef, and do you think you were ready for those? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just I think I just sounded I think I just said yes, just to just to make sure I still had a job. Um, but look, from looking back at it to where I am now, um, I wish I'd done a lot of things right during that period. You know, there's things you got to worry about food costing. How much we're spending? What's the cost on that dish? Um, you know, how many covers do we have to do a night to make sure we break even? You know, how much money do we need to make a week? There's all these things that you also need to to think about. But then you're also thinking about the food. You're also thinking about the staff. You're also thinking about what dishes you want to put on the next day. Um, and we were, we, I was like, obviously, still really ambitious and trying to do everything that I could by myself. Waking up at the markets, going to the markets at four a.m going to the fish markets at six, uh, veg markets at four, fish at six, and then I'd go straight to work and then work till eight, nine o'clock at night. So, you know, and then all those other important things would seem to become a bit of a distant memory when that should have been the forefront because it's more of a business, you're head chef, you're supposed to be driving, you're supposed to be watching all these things, which is probably something I took a bit of a blind eye to at the time. So, um, did you learn that the hard way? Yes. Very much so. Got snapped back into reality real quick in in that regard. So, um, you know, by the end of it, coming out of it, um, I felt like I was more of a stronger chef when I walked in just because I got beaten during that period um, to what it should, should have been like, you know, through the whole time when mm. not necessarily that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, wow! So it yeah. seems like a great progression. You're learning these things. Yeah, knockdown. You get back up. Get again. back up. Yeah. So, where did you move from after that? Well, after that, I think well, that was the the second. I was at the Common for two years, and my 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 last my last year I was there. I won. Um, I came runners up in um, Australian Young Chef, and then I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'll take a step back. I feel like I wasn't really ready because you know I just was like, okay, I need to cook more. I think I was 22 or 23. Wow. And I was like, all right, I need to cook more. So I went from a head chef back down to a chef to party. Um, went and worked for another good mentor of mine that I still talk to every second day as it is now. And that's a guy named Scott Pickett. So 
I took on a job with him. There was no sous chef, there was no head chef roles, there was no junior sous chefs. So it was like, you're gonna be a chef to party again and you're gonna, you're gonna work the stoves. And I was like, mate, perfect. So I've gone from like a certain point back down, which is, I thought was a really good move for me because, you know, I knew that I wasn't ready. And I knew that I needed more time to cook before I went up again. So, and it was great. And then my first year at Estelle, just things just started happening. You know, doing events, working with Delicious Magazine. Um, I won Australian Young Chef of the Year. Um, you know, and all, doing all this really helped me to get back where I wanted to be. And that was to be the best that I could possibly be. So Scott really gave me the opportunity to do some really good events. Went cooking in Tasmania, did events with him, and it was really good. And then when I won Australian Young Chef, then everything went up another level. So I was with Scott for about a year. And then I'd, at that time, I wanted to, you know, turn, turn that, that ball, like when that ball is rolling so fast, I wanted to turn something that into my own. And then I opened a restaurant out in regional Victoria called the Lakeside Mill. So, you know, again, that was a, you know, we went from opening. So it was my first business that I ever opened. So we're talking about, you know, the kitchen has already had a certain foundation. We're talking pots, pans, utensils, not overspending, getting food in, testing dishes, um, hiring a whole kitchen brigade. And we're talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days, you know, making sure we're watching their hours, not overstepping on, on the labor costs, um, but also worrying about the food. So, um, again, that was another challenge um, that I enjoyed quite thoroughly. Absolutely, and you're a chef and you're an entrepreneur and you've got these, definitely a range of skills in managing people and also producing fantastic dishes. Mm. Right? How, because when I look over your Instagram, <laughs> there are two major things that I notice. The first is that your art photos, sorry, your food photos are art mm. they look like pieces of art and they're very beautiful and the second thing is that you were just constantly working and always. that you're constantly working on being better um networking and promoting when i see this my alarm bells go off in regards to burnout and overworking for me is it has to be balanced out right have you experienced burnout uh, yes. Yeah. Probably don't deal with it in the best pos- possible way. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's not, not, it's not talked as much about in Australia. No, like it, it is it, to a certain degree, mm. but then I think it's that when you start getting to, to the level, especially in hospitality or is, especially if you're a chef, you know, it starts to become pretty hardcore the way people can deal with it. Um, in regards to like alcohol and drugs? Yes, pretty much. I think that's sort of our easy way of dealing with things, you know, as chefs, you know. All you these think, people. Yeah. You know? It's an easy way of dealing with things. So, yeah, look. People, but you know that that exists in your industry. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And did you avoid that? Oh, definitely not. No, definitely not. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, I mean, you're intensely working, Mm. and you know, and the temptation of drugs and alcohol is there. Yeah, but I think London was probably a point where I sort of that sort of clicked in a way. Um, Even though I wasn't there for that long, like one of my one of my closest mates at the moment, he was in London for five and a half years. You know, 
he's very strong, strong minded, you know, but if, if you, if you're in an opportunity where if you don't, if you're not strong minded and you, and you, and you're really doubting yourself at a point, then you can easily go down that way. Um, which, yeah, like, as I said before, you know, I remember calling Justin at one point when I was in London, just like in tears, a good bottle of gin deep, you know, it's, it was pretty full on and that's only one day off, you know, and you know, turn around and try and get up the next morning and go do it again. So, but there's definitely been other parts of, you know, my career, you know, that have, that I really struggled with. Um, I think more, mostly towards, you know, where I'm starting to be now, you know, about a year, two years ago, yeah, it was pretty, pretty rough as well. So, mm. you know, I think we all, we all go through periods. Um, you know, I think, I feel like, you know, people say, oh, you know, you've got to turn around, it should make you stronger. Um, and you should, um, you know, it's just about getting back on that horse and, and keep charging it. So, mm. but yeah, it's, it happens. Yeah, I imagine it would. How would you relax? How would you take time away from cooking? Um, try to go on holiday if I can. But then I remember like, it's hard to switch off. For me, it's very hard to switch off. If I'm not, you know, a couple of years ago when I was in Singapore, you know, to try and switch off from work is so hard when you're living and breathing it every day um you know it's hard to sort of get away from it and at that point I didn't know I didn't think of anything better like anything else I thought was completely normal and then you know when you like when you take a step back I'm a partner at the time um says you know get off your phone you know you're on your phone too much or you know you're not you know you're not spending time with with her or you know you're not getting away you're just constantly thinking about work or um, yeah, it becomes hard, mm. you know, and it's hard to switch off. Mm. So I would like to have to try and go to Bali for a couple of days or get away. Yeah. So, um, look, I, fi- I find that very hard mm. for sure. Mm. Cause you're just living and breathing it all the time. Yeah. And you still are. So well, tell me about you owned your own business and where did Singapore come into it? So I went to, um, after winning, um, young chef, you know, my prize was that was return flights overseas. I see. So, um, you know, basically for me, it was like an eating trip. Mm. So we could do a few stages. So like I started, I left, I left Sydney, I flew into Singapore, um, for three days, really good friend, Manoli that sort of took me around, um, and then introduced me to Dave and Dave Pint is the head chef and owner of, uh, Burnt Ends in Singapore. Um, met him, had a bit of a mentor chat got along with him really, really well. Um, you know, just went in there for lunch, ate at a restaurant called the Tipling Club and a restaurant Andre, which cost me an arm and a leg. It was still good fun. Um, but yeah, then I kept my traveling. So then I went to London, went into London. I went from there to Oslo, Oslo to Copenhagen, Copenhagen to Stockholm, Stockholm to Venice, down to Parma, and then back up to Venice to Paris, and then Paris back to London to fly back. And during this whole time, I did a few stages at a restaurant called Farvikin, uh, which is top 20 in the world, and another restaurant called Amas in Copenhagen. And then when I got to Paris on my last bit of the trip, I got a t- I was at a really, really nice restaurant called Septine, two Michelin star. And um, I got a, my phone went off, and I got a message from um, Dave from Burnands in Singapore. And he said, it was really blank, and Dave's really like, 
sort of really blank on text messages. It'd be like, okay, or yes. And I was like, oh. and got a message from him saying, do you want to just like, no, hey, do you want to come back and be my head chef? And I was like, I wrote back, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, when can you be here? And I was like, holy shit. And then I was like, well, I need to just go, but I'm flying home in like two days time. I need to speak with my partner and I go, you know, I'll let you know in the next couple of days. He's like, well, let me know ASAP. And I was like, shit. So I was at this restaurant, I was like, can I have a glass of champagne? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Because Burntans is in the top 50 yeah. best restaurants of the world. Yeah, in the world, yeah. So um, I was just a bit like, holy shit. And this was like, at that point, like work wasn't really going amazing in Melbourne. There was a lot of speed bumps. Um, a couple of things in my personal life that really shook me up a bit. Um, and then turned around and moved back to Melbourne or came back to Melbourne and then sort of turned around to my partner and just sort of said, I'm moving to Singapore. There was no like if, but we or anything like that. So I was, I was very arrogant in that regard, which, you know, I wasn't very happy when I look back, I wasn't very happy about myself because it wasn't really a mutual thing, but I also knew that it was, it was for my career and to go to a restaurant like this, you know, I was, I was going to go regardless. So yeah, I think i came back on the 17th of November and I was over there working on the on the 12th of January. Yeah. It was real quick. Wow. It was like a month, wow. month and a half that I turned around, had Christmas at home and then was like, all right, I'm going. Wow. I flew into Singapore again, never been there before in my life. So it's just on again. On again. But on a whole other level. On a whole other level. And it was my first time ever to Asia. Right. Never been to Bali, never been anywhere like that before. Was so. there much of a language barrier when you're in the kitchen and the people? Um, not really, eh? Because Dave had this, Dave had this rules pretty much like we're an English speaking kitchen. Doesn't mind like, like during service, English, yeah. English only. But like if we're doing mise en place and stuff, the guys would always have a chat mm-hmm. in Malay or Singapore yeah. or anything like that. So, um, and you get over here and this restaurant can get the best qualities of food you can get everything that is at the fingertips yeah. they've got amazing dishes exactly man and it's like Singapore is the centre of the world so as much as you you can't grow anything in Singapore anything that you get into Singapore is stunning so like our seafood will come from Brittany you know in England you know France you know you've got the best veg coming from France really nice seafood and veg from Australia mm. you know I remember the I think the first or second day that I worked there there was like these stunning razor clams that we just got from Brittany, you know, mm. like blue lobsters. And we still get live marins from Western Australia. You know, like it's yeah. just like a, the product was really, really good. And obviously our beef was our, was our forefront, mm-hmm. uh, which we'd get from uh, David Blackmore's down in Victoria. So, you know, still, you know, still working all this amazing produce, um, but everything was all imported. So, and there was no seasons. No seasons wow. in fruit and veg. Wow. You know, you look at certain stuff, but like, you know, asparagus would be available in Australia, but then you can't get it from France. You know what I mean? So it's um, just whatever you want to do, use willy nilly sometimes. It's good. So, how long did you stay in Singapore? I was in Singapore for three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. What so, do you think was your biggest learning from that experience? Um, three years. Walk straight lines. What is it? Walk straight lines. It was the last thing my, my boss, Dave, told me when I left. 
um, and it will stay in my head for a long time until I, you know, and in bold, I think what I meant by that is don't hide behind anything. Always say straight and narrow. Mm. Um, stick to your ambitions. Don't, don't try to disclose anything. Be honest and open. I think that's what I learned from that. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, it was good. David still is a massive mentor and what he taught me in those three years is, was awesome. And he pushed me, pushed me every day. Mm. You know, he can't, I, I, like I couldn't, I couldn't walk into work hungover. I couldn't walk into work knowing that if I was the slightest bit hungover, he would sniff that from a mile away. And he would just, he would be breathing down your neck every day. So I would like, I would very rarely even go out and have supper with guys. I would always just sort of go home, make sure I couldn't do a good sleep. And I think that's what, you know, what's made, what made me better as a chef and potentially what, you know, the restaurant turned into. You know, Dave was doing an awesome job. You know, he's owned it now for seven years and it's been a, a, like one of the best restaurants, if not the best restaurant in Singapore for that whole entire time. So, you know, when I jumped on and we went from, I think it was number 10 to number 12 in Asia's 50 best. Um, now Dave's back up at number five. Number last year there, and um, yeah, it's like it's an unreal restaurant to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. I did so many, so many good events, and he really, really mm. pushed me. I was, one day I was cooking in in, uh, in the Maldives. Next minute, the next day oh. I'm, I'm cooking in India. Gorgeous. So wow. So how do you feel now as a chef and personally, you know, in your skill? How, how do you actually feel in your own skin? Yeah, it looked really good. I think yeah. you know. I think you know, really looking for that opportunity to take anything to the next level. Um, and really looking for an opportunity to one day have my own restaurant. Mm. I think that's I think that's the goal, mm. um, or everyone's goal. I think starting out as a young cook, you know, you want to be given the opportunity. But I think, you know, now is the time to to sort of get close to that. Um, and yeah, rip in, and, and then it starts all over again. Yeah, it, goes. yeah it, seems like, <laughs> it seems like right now with the virus and everything, it's just like you're just standing at the gate waiting for that opportunity, and then it's just going to go, and you're just going to on again. Yeah, just like you did with Melbourne and Singapore, and moving away from the coast and going over to London. There's a lot of that, and it's just like you're just ready to go, ready to go ready again, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good so, to be back in Australia and, and working with a good bunch of bunch of boys down in um in Sydney at Mimi's. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, like, you know, all super talented guys mm. and um, great atmosphere, great restaurant, great company. Um, so, yeah, it's mm. good. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. What an interesting, interesting chat. About this <laughs> yeah. sort of stuff. It really is. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, you know, you've rubbed shoulders against some big names, especially at a young age too. And you talk about arrogance um, a little bit there. So I wanted to ask you about how you have overcome that and how you stay sort of grounded? Mm. I think, you know, I think the big one for me would have been Dave. I think Dave, when I first got to Singapore, you know, I think I, I think I rocked up to something, an event, and I was, I think I was drunk or something. Yeah, I was drunk. And he really pulled me in the office and this was only like a month in. And he really like, pretty much pulled me in to say, mate, pull your head in. Otherwise, you're fucking gone. And I was just like, and that was for me, I was just like, shit, you know, I can't, I'm not going to fuck up this opportunity. And he really like, just pulled me into line where I was more like him. You know, really driven with work, really concentrated on what I wanted to achieve. 
And I think it, it only takes that one conversation or that one moment where you really got to be like, okay, I need to focus now, you know? And I think when I first got there, even though I felt like it was very late, you know, cause I, I tend to do what I want, you know, he just brought me back in the line and, you know, that's why I worked for him for so long, you know, and he was a really good mentor and, you know, and Scott was the same, you know, he always had one moment with him. I think with, you know, three of my mentors, mainly Scott and Dave, there was always a moment there where they, they pulled me into line. And I feel like if it wasn't for those certain situations, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. You know, I would have just, they would have got sacked or and I would have been trying to be someone else that I didn't really want to be. So I think it was just that those certain conversations where really just like, fucking wake up mm, you know? and I think that you need that at times for sure hey? definitely um, but then at other times you need different sorts of encouragement hey? mm. uh, what, what advice would you give to someone who is aiming for big things like you have perhaps that's living on the coast right now mm. and, and sees the world as as a rooster I think you just got to trust your instincts and, and yeah. then go for it yeah. you know I th- I think that's the biggest bit of advice I could give and just back yourself, back your confidence mm. um, and just get out there. You know, there's no, no wrong in doing that. Mm. And that's what I found as well. You know, you're only going to sink or you're going to swim. Mm. So, and that's like an everyday in the kitchen and when we go into service, you know, but I think it's, yeah, just throwing yourself out there, getting, get, getting surrounded by really good people and make them drive you. Yeah, like so, you said earlier, being in a, in a kitchen with great people mm. um, was a really big effect on, on your morale. Definitely, yeah, 100%. Morale, hey? But it's also so competitive. Oh, you yeah. Know? Like, it's so competitive, like you're talking about. Mm. Um, like, how do, you, how do you swim, so to speak, not sink? Yeah. Well, how, do you, how do you keep a cool head? <laughs> like, because, you know, kitchens are hot, chefs mm. are angry. For sure. How do you keep a cool head? Like, do you have any techniques or do you just, like... You just got to bustle, eh? Like, I remember a couple of times there, like, my sous chefs and stuff would would know that, you know, I was doing okay or I was doing a good, just a good job, you know, getting by, and then they would just try and throw you under the bus. You know, you'd either have, you know, something sitting in the sink or, you know, you'd be prepping something and they'd pour it out of the sink. So any sort of way where you know you're going to go down, um, they can sniff that. And that, you know, they take that to their advantage, you know what I mean? Like I remember one, one time, you know, at the library where we had this company called in uh, Bordeaux, Bordeaux Index, which is a massive wine company in, uh, in Bordeaux, where they would come in, they have 24 covers for lunch. So we'd have to do like a, a set menu. And anyway, we had this one puree that was on our pigeon dish at the time. And I knew I only had a certain amount of, of that puree. And the guy at the time that was on the pass was just going for it. And he knew because he was watching me the same time that he was doing it. And I told him at the beginning, I was like, that's all I've got. He ran out out of 24 plates. He ran out on the 19th plate. Then at the time, Brett steps in and goes, where's the rest of the puree? And then if I don't have any, and I didn't have any, (laughs) what do you think happened? And then it was... I grab over the bench, slam me back over the pass, an onion thrown at my face, burns all up my arms, because I ran out of this period, which he knew. So there's certain, certain moments in certain kitchens where 
if people know that Calais can stitch you up, they'll do that. So because of that competitiveness, yeah. because I know Jade can potentially take my position. Or Probably not, not his position, just stop you from doing well. Really? They're, they're, they're pricks sometimes. Mm. So, um, yeah, look, it's just different moments in different kitchens, you know. You know, sometimes people will jump in and help you out. In this particular kitchens and other kitchens I've been a part of, there yeah, that doesn't happen. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the the time, how should I say this? The the moment that you know we are in now is a lot different to what it was before. Mm. So even when I run a kitchen, or even a like Bernard's is a little bit different. But when I'm in kitchens in Australia, you know, there's laws that we have to look at now. People need to clock in and clock out. You know, no one can do over a certain amount of hours. Mm. You know, this is the law now, and this is something that chefs that got brought up in my time need to start understanding so but that and that also then that relays onto the business how can we come up with a menu when these chefs are working these many hours per day you know what can we achieve in that time frame how complex can the food be you know Mm -hmm. Um, and then it also comes to training and development so there's a lot more things now that I believe as chefs that we need to think about Mm. so when we're, when we're either when we're opening businesses or running businesses mm-hmm. so yeah, absolutely it's just one more thing to think about laws in re- that prevent these things happening yeah yeah no definitely it's yeah. it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big thing in in our, in our industry now that you know and I think we're such a shortage of chefs as well yeah. no one really wants to jump into the kitchen anymore so why do you think that is? I think I think everything scares them a bit, you know. I think. Oh yeah, I mean, not like you know, if I run out of puree, I'm gonna get thrown. Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone listening is like, I've never become a chef. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that I think what a lot of people get turned off is by the hours. Everyone has this mentality that we're gonna, that you know, everyone has to work these amount of hours. So yeah, I think it's a big thing for you know young cooks to swallow. You know, they're gonna lose, you know, all their mates. They're gonna have to make sacrifices. But you know, at the end of the day, like if you if you want to give it a good crack, you have to do things like that. In, I, I feel like in any occupation, you know what I mean. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, if you if you don't work hard for it, why do you deserve big? No, yeah, true, exactly. So, um, how do you stay calm? Now I just go for a run. Yeah. 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 I'm quite in quite big into running. So if I've even if I'm frustrated, if I'm frustrated at work, I'll generally just go for a bit of a walk. Yeah. Or just, get out of the kitchen or if it's on service or anything like that I'll just jump in and do it myself but yeah look I now if I'm if I get to the end of the week and I'm frustrated or upset or or anything like that then I'll just generally I'll go for a run mm-hmm. or try to feel good yeah. then I'm on I'm on the right path and I'll know like everything's fine I'm just overthinking things mm-hmm. um so yeah I think yeah I did like a a massive challenge like a couple of weeks ago where I ran four miles every four hours for 48 hours stay high that's it. Yeah, David Goggins. That, yeah. that stuff is crazy. Yeah. So that, that like mental toughness. Oh. Holy hell. Yeah. So what was it? You ran four k's. It was so four miles, six six point five kilometers. Yeah. Every four hours for forty eight hours. Forty eight hours, not yeah. twenty four. Forty eight. Forty eight hours. So I was waking up like ten. I did. I started at ten a.m. So you did like twelve runs. Yeah. I did yeah. thirteen. Thirteen. I did thirteen just so I, to, to make it two marathons. So two, basically two marathons in 48 hours. So, but I think that was really hard. And I think, and I did it with no music and no one with me. So it was, for me, it was good because mentally I was like, this is hard, but 
when I thought about different situations over the past 12 to 48 months, whether it be my personal life or whether it be from work or, you know, or stuff at home or whatever the case may be, that's what really, that's what really drove me. You know, that those 2am and those 6am runs to try and get up and, and, and run six and a half Ks was like hard. And I wasn't really running. I was loving and partially sprinting at the time. So it was good. So it was good fun. Clocked some good times. Yeah, and absolutely. Really, a really good challenge. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered because, you know, you're a pretty fit guy and you've stayed fit. You've done some boxing in the past too. Yeah. And um, you always sort of been in that realm. What's your diet like as a chef? At the moment, it's fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, I've always wondered about this. You know, you're, you're dealing with amazing artistic food mm. at best qualities, like in burnt hands. Yeah, yeah. You know, but what's your personal diet like? Oh. Sometimes it's a bit of a rocky roller coaster. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I think, like, when I'm at home, I try to keep healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm training or, you know. Do you, do you have anything like paleo or anything like that? Or no. Or just, just your own it's just your own thing. Diet, yeah. yeah. So I'm just. Yeah, always have breakfast, stock standard, and just try to not be so snacky at work. Yeah, yeah. But I'm a sucker for eating out, so mm. I think that's where most of my money goes these days. Is yeah, um, you know, that is a good excuse there because you are, you know, a chef. Yeah, it's research. <laughs> yeah, research. <laughs> <Stacks deductible>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that diet's good, man. Try to keep healthy, stay yeah. fit. Yeah. That's about it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Don't go splurging on takeaway too much. Mm. Yeah, so it adds up, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it adds up. Adds up yeah. Bit of dirty bird doesn't go bad, though. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't crack the bird. Oh, so good. Oh, Jake, this has been such a good chat, man. If you were, if you were to, if your 16-year-old self were to walk in the room right now, what would you, what would you say to me? Yeah. Uh, apprentice Jake, you know, at Eddie's, pretty young, 16, doesn't really know that he's going to, the end up working burnt ends or this sort of life. Mm. What would you actually say to him? I'd probably say to him, go hard, don't look back, make the right decisions. I think that'd be, that's a, probably a good solid handful of times that, you know, I'd like to go back and change a few things and all that kind of stuff, but be honest, open. Yeah, walk in a straight line. And walk in straight lines. Yeah. When you say the right decisions... Do you mean following that intuition of mm. what you think is right? Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, you know. Or do you mean it's in like the morally right question, like the morally right decision? Probably, probably a little bit of both. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like, it, you know, I know there are some terrible decisions I made in my personal life, um, but then also some good decisions, um, and then same with work. But then also I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. What an interesting story. Jake, what's um what's on the cards for you in twenty twenty? And I mean, how is how's coronavirus affected? Yeah, this COVID stuff's really put a nail on things. Yeah. Um especially in your industry. Definitely. Our industry's been, you know, very badly hit, um, I would say. So it's, you know, for big restaurants and the small cafes, you know, it's 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 a tough time for everyone and you know, I think Hopefully, over the next few weeks, these restrictions start to loosen and businesses can open up. You know, it was even nice sort of riding around before around here, around the coast, and there's like, you know, people at cafes and, and stuff like that, which is always good to see. Um, but yeah, keen for this to just get over. 
um, and move on with move on with normal life. I know it's going to take some time, um, but you know I think just keeping my head down at Mimi's, keep working with my executive chef Jordan Toft and Justin Hems at Maryvale. Mm. So mm. yeah. Well, it's going to be a really exciting time when things do recover. Yeah. You know? 100%. It's just going to be 100%, hey? It will be. It'll be good to be back open, you know, having customers back in the door. You know, they're all going to be stoked to be back. So just really capturing the diners and capturing capturing our customers when they walk back through those doors is going to be the main goal. Mm. Because, you Mm. know, trying to gain their trust back again with everything that's happened. Yeah. You know, it's going to be um, it's going to be a big thing mm. for everyone. Yeah, well, good luck for that. Really Cheers, thank you. That. Um, it seems like you're a very. What I've learned from this conversation is that you're a, you stop and you start, mm. and you go for something big, and you you learn through that experience. Then you stop, and then you recover, <laughs> and then you go for a new one. Yeah, it's almost like you're shooting out and coming back, and shooting out and coming back. Yeah, true. So you're sort of in that position. Right now, you've just sort of jumped out the gun with going to Coogee, hey? Mm. So, I mean, is there anything in particular that you, when you come back to that point and shoot out of the gate again, is there anything in particular that you want to go towards or is it sort of something that comes up? I think it would be, um, yeah, having my own restaurant. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Because then that, I feel when that happens, then there's no shooting more back in. I see. Yeah, you know, you've got... You feel like you're going to other people's restaurants and you're learning from them. Definitely. Yeah. 100%. You know, I think that the end goal, yeah, just to buy 50, you know, have my own restaurant. Yeah. Maybe a couple of little, small little places, like little, you know, money makers. Um, But just have like a strong flagship one that's, you know, one of the best restaurants in Australia. You know, something that's really interesting besides that amazing point because it will be yeah you're very modest and i know how hard work you know you're such a hard worker you'll achieve that Mm. in that time but one of the amazing things that you haven't even thought about is money no No? you know and you haven't even mentioned it during this conversation there's been no real chase for money there's been no real comment on it it's been about skill craft art people Mm. restaurants quality yeah, I know. It's something that I've never worried about, to be fair. Like, not that I've never worried about it, I've always worried about money. Because I'm the, <laughs> I'm the worst saver in the world. <laughs> worst saver. I go out, a party. Uh, but it's something that I'll just be like, oh, look, I'm not dead. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still, I'm still you know, I'm still swimming. Um, but yeah, look, you know, it's, I know at some point in my life, it probably coming up really soon that I need to be like, okay, probably should start saving a bit more. Probably should put banking some more money. If I'm making money and I'm having fun and I'm doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. then I'm happy. Yeah. Do you want to say anything before we uh, before we close close the podcast? Oh, just thank you. Yeah. Well, thank uh, thanks. you. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you so much. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me to come on. Um, super stoked to be a part of. It. Known years since you were eight, nine years, eight, nine years old. So um, it's nice to sit here and chat with my best mate's brother. So Mm. appreciate it. Thank you very much. Happy day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that was so good. That was so good. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. That's us. Solid. Solid, man. Thank you very much for listening to the Winify podcast. I hope you've been inspired to create more and consume more wisely to support the Central Coast community. 
If you have someone in mind who I could interview for this podcast, please reach out to me on social media under the handle at Winify. Hey, thanks again, and I hope you join me next time on the Winify podcast. Podcast.